0: We're living in dangerous times, but Christians should not be afraid. Amen. We're, we're going to see in one of the lessons coming up, I don't remember which one it is now, and I don't remember whether it's Sunday morning or Wednesday night, that, that when the world sees that we don't react in fear, it becomes a testimony to them of who we serve and who we believe. So the church should not be afraid. We're afraid because we listen to the things of the world and we process them like the things like the world does. But we need to learn to take this Word of God. We need to take the Word of God, which is the filter through which we understand things. Renew our mind to this Word. We need to take this Word of God and filter everything through that because that is our marching orders. Those are our instructions. Praise the Lord. Those of you that are military, you know you can't do anything without orders. These are our orders. These are our instructions. Amen. Let's pray. Let's prepare to get into God's Word this morning. Father, we thank You for Your faithfulness to us and Your goodness. We thank You for Your grace and Your love, Father. We thank You for the Word of God that You've given to us. And this Word is given to us because You love us. And this is a living Word that speaks to us. This is a Word that allows You to speak directly to us every morning when we get up. Every time we open this word, you want to speak to us through this word. And especially as we come together and gather together as your children, as your family, as the body of Christ here at Faith Christian Center, you want to speak to us this morning. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father, because he's the one that takes this word and breathes it into our hearts, into our lives, and makes it alive in us, quickens it into us, Father. And we ask you for the Holy Spirit this morning to breathe the breath of life into our hearts and life. Father, I surrender to you as best I know how, my mind, my voice, my body, to allow the Holy Spirit to use me. And I endeavor as best I know how to surrender my tongue that only that which you would say would come out of my mouth, and that you would take the words, anoint them, and do what it is you will with them. And for that we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You may put the picture up. We already got it up. Okay. Praise God. We're still in our series about growing up, and we've learned that, 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 uh, uh, that the Bible teaches us and nature teaches us that everything God creates goes through a process of maturing. And God created things to process, and, and even the kingdom of God operates on seed time and harvest. And although God created, some people have the question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Anybody have an answer? Yep, very good. You've been taught well. The chicken came first. Well, I had to start with something. So God created the man, okay? But He put in the man and the woman, the seed for the next generation. And everything God has done from that time, from plant life to animal life to human life, comes by a seed that contains all, the, all that is intended by that next by that next fruit, by that next generation, by that child, by that what it is to produce. Everything that's needed is in that seed. It's just the seed needs to be planted and then it needs to be taken care of. We saw examples from nature where Jesus uses a parable about the farmer sows the seed, he waters it, and it grows up even while he's sleeping. He doesn't know how, but it grows up. Why? Because everything that's needed is in there. And then we talked about everything that God has ordained and called to come out of your life to, all the fruit that is to be born through your life was in the seed that was sown in you when you received Christ right. all of the potential of all that God wanted to do now listen to me carefully not just in out of you directly but the seed you plant yeah. and the seed that they plant multiplies yeah. Yeah. this started with twelve men yeah. the church the church Eleven, and then they added one. And millions upon millions of fruit has been born. Because the seed was sown. But that seed has to grow and mature in us. That life of God has to grow and mature in us. And, and, and this, the life that's in a tomato seed, the life that's in a, in a uh, potato, whatever it is, the life that's in all those things, it will produce as long as it's sown. The only seed that can be sown and watered that won't grow is the seed of life that's planted in man. Because the tomato, the onion, the chicken, they have no will to exercise to say, no, I'm not going to grow. But God gave man a free will. So at every juncture where there's an opportunity to mature, we have the right to say, no, I'm not going to. It's called the Peter Pan Syndrome. Those of you that remember the old movie, Peter, I won't grow up, I won't grow up, I'll never go to school, I'll never learn. And so many Christians are at that stage, but I believe in many ways it's because we're ignorant. We don't know we have to mature and grow up. We just know, well, I come into the kingdom of God, that means I'm going to heaven, praise God. I can't wait to get there. Of course, if the doctor tells you it's coming sooner than you think, we panic. But anyway, that's another message for another day. Some of you get that on the way home, and so there's just, that's fine. Um, where was I? Okay. So we've been talking about there's a process of maturing and growing that God has ordained. And in order to learn what it is, we learned the stages. We looked at physical growth. Infant that grows into a toddler, grows into a child, which grows into an adolescent, which eventually grows into an adult, if that process is allowed to develop. Again, physically it's going to happen as long as you're on the earth long enough. Emotionally it will happen if the right circumstances are there and spiritually it's the same thing. Then we saw last time that in order for these us to move successfully from one stage to another as as in your physical body, in your emotional life, we have to be surrounded by a community that provides the things that we need and it's called the family, which is why Satan has worked so hard to destroy the structure of a family the way God ordained it. To either pervert it or destroy it or say it's not necessary. Because in that structure, in that... In that atmosphere that God has ordained in a Christian home is what is necessary for those young children to grow and mature not just physically and emotionally but spiritually so as they're handed off to God to launch off into what God's called them to do they're ready for that. And so this is why Satan works so hard to either destroy or pervert which is what we have out in society now that family idea. But then we talked about spiritually that, that same ne- atmosphere is necessary for us to grow as Christians. And that loving atmosphere and community is ordained by God to be provided through the local church, which is why the local church is so essential. And even if a church is 10,000 people, you still have to have that local community sense so that we can interact with one another, which is why we have connect groups so that we're going to have others coming up so that we can connect with one another. So we began to look at what are those elements in a physical home, in a physical family that need to be there so that we can grow and mature and we looked for those in a spiritual family which is the church. The first thing we saw is there must be a loving environment, a place where we know that we're loved and we're accepted even when we make mistakes, even when our diapers are dirty and they need to be changed and we're 35 years old. There, there, there's that loving community where we're loved and we're accepted because that, without that love and acceptance then we will never venture out and grow because if we make a mistake I used the example of our daughter learning to walk and falling down when she was a toddler then we helped her up we gave her that loving support well the church needs to provide that for one another and we saw the scripture Jesus gives us, of course, is, is uh, we're not going to turn, we're not gonna show it up there, is is John chapter 13, and there's several, many other places, where he says to those disciples as we launch, this is my commandment. We spent time last week talking about what a commandment is. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And we talked about the standard of what that love means. It doesn't mean just patting somebody on the back. It doesn't mean saying, I believe in you. It means that we are literally put our life down for one another. And then, as I have loved you, so love one another. Verse 35 then tells us that that's how the world's going to know what He's like, by seeing the way we relate to each other. That went over big. They're going to know what Jesus is like, not by our billboards. They're going to know, not even by our words. Because people are smart, they'll hear what you say, but then they'll watch what you do. And it's the love we have for one another, His love in us for one another, that shows the world what He's like. Because they can't see Him, but they can see us relating to each other. And this is one of the areas where the church has failed terribly. Where the church has failed, I have got the wrong notes. That's why it's not working. Praise the Lord. Give me my iPad again. <laughs> I mean I can talk, but you want me to, you want to get out of here. Praise the Lord. So the first thing is love. We are called, I wonder where the Scriptures were on that. It's so what happens when we don't have a first servant. I have a routine on Sunday morning, and you get out of the routine, it's like... Mm. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, where are they, John? They were here this morning. Bear with me. Here we go. Growing up. Oh, yeah. There we go. Okay. Yep. Right on track. Whoa. Well, Good. Okay. <laughs> the second thing we see that a family needs is the family is a community that supports one another and helps one another. In a, in a family, we're supposed to not tear each other down, but it's the place when you've had a rough day and every you've done everything's gone wrong and you've done everything wrong. The place you want to come back to that's going to build you up and support you and you can feel safe coming in the door ought to be your home and your family, and that's true here. Instead of the man having to throw his hat in to see whether it gets chewed up or the wife having to fear whether he comes home or the children afraid to come home when dad comes home or mom's coming home, there needs to be a loving atmosphere to know that even though you failed, you called your teacher something you shouldn't have told them, you know, you don't want to do that, but you are going to be. You may be corrected and disciplined, but it will be out of love. In the same way, that must be in the church. And we looked at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a trespass, that's a sin. You who are spiritual, you who are mature, you who have grown up, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Notice what it does not say. You who are spiritual, point out to them what they did wrong. You who are spiritual, criticize them. Publish it on Facebook. Look at why. But restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Because I guarantee you, if you're judging your brother, you're already susceptible to the temptation. Because here's... Oh, I don't, John. You can't get off on this with your Lord. Jesus said, Before you do eye surgery on your neighbor... What He said is before you try to take the splinter out of your neighbor's, neighbor's eye, make sure you've taken the log out of your eye. I had a, an eye doctor once that was going to do some work on me and you could tell he had a problem with his eye. It was watery and I did not want him sticking anything in my eye if he couldn't see clearly coming out of his eye. But let me ask you a question. Why? Why is Jesus saying a log in your eye and a splinter in the other person's eye. Here's why I believe. What allows me to see the splinter in your eye is because I'm looking through a log in my eye. What that says is this. What allows me to notice and judge your fault is because I'm trying to deflect attention from that same thing in me. On Wednesday night, it won't be this Wednesday, but maybe the next Wednesday night, we're talking, about, we're talking about words. We're going to talk about James chapter 3. We got into it this last Wednesday. And then James chapter 4, he talks about when you judge one another, you have put yourself in God's place. So you better be as holy as God is if you're bumping Him off the throne and going to sit there and judge your neighbor. Now, there's a proper judgment, but we don't have time to get into what that is. But you know what this is. Okay. So we're to encourage one another. Uh, let's keep going. I'll preach this all over again if I'm not careful. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. The word burden here is a Greek word that means something that's so overwhelming, somebody can't handle it themselves. It ba- it's, their knees are buckling. And what it's saying, come alongside and help them carry that load. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love. What was the commandment? This is another commandment, a new commandment I give you. Love love is acted out. It's acted out by sharing your brother's burden. Verse 35. Oh no, we went back again. Thank you. For if anyone thinks him to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, this is why we think we can judge other people, because we think we're something. And the Bible says, if you think you're something, you have deceived yourself. It's wor- you know, if Satan deceives you, that's one thing, you just got tricked. You do it to yourself? No, we can't do it. Verse 4. But let each one examine his own work. Our work. Not my neighbor's work. Each one examine our own work, then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. Verse 5, I want you to see this one. For each one shall bear his own load. Wait a minute, Pastor. The word just said we're to bear one another's burden, and now we're to just bear our own. Different Greek word. The word burden, in verse 1 or verse 2, whichever it is, is this large bundle on somebody's back that they can't handle themselves. This is a load that's the one you're ordained to carry yourself. This is your responsibility. Okay, let's go on. So we're to we're to have a loving community. This is the church, which is the and the family is the analogy for. We're to have a be helping, encouraging one another. And we saw in Ephesians 4, let's go to verse 14. Again, we'll spend more time on this later that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we're talking He started the church. What he said here, we talked in length about this last week, that in, in verse 11 it says, God gave to the church, Jesus gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and pastor, teacher is really one word. He gave them to the church, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, of the saints, so that we can do the work of the ministry. So the gifts are given to to help mature us. All five gifts are given to help mature us, and the process is by speaking the truth in love, which is why hearing the Word together is so important, because it's the speaking of the truth. It's got to be truth, and it's got to be in love. some, Some... some ministry gifts, they want to speak in love, but they don't want to speak the truth. Because they want everybody to like them. They want everybody to feel like we're friendly here. And we are. And the greatest friendliness you can is to tell me the truth. Others want to speak truth, but there's no love in it. It's the truth in love. And the result of that is that we may grow up in all things unto Him who's the head. We're going to come back to this next week. Next, verse 16 is where I wanted to go from whom the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies Say, so, so the, the, this is, a, this is a, the body of Christ organically, spiritually but organically we're a family like a family at home and it's what every joint supplies, each one of you supplies something for the building up of this body and this body is other believers so the maturing process isn't just coming on Sunday morning and hearing the truth shared in love. It's the taking your place and supplying what only you have been called by God to supply for one another. Okay. Causes the growth of the body, edifying itself in love. Okay. So, it's the, so the, the, the body is here to provide a loving atmosphere, an encouraging atmosphere, and a maturing atmosphere. That was the fun part. We're now going to talk about something you don't hear in church very often, but it's right in the Word. It's okay, you can take a deep breath. The truth in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Some of you are saying, I wish he forgot his note. I wish he didn't find his (laughs) nose." Now Paul, I've shared this with you before. It helps to know the background of these letters. This is a letter written by Paul to a church that he found, founded, didn't discover. It was born out of his ministry in Corinth, which was the very southern part of Greece. Very intellectual uh, uh, area of the world, the major philosophies of the world came out of their culture. And, and uh, also a very heavily uh, uh, spiritualist Not spiritual, but spiritualistic place. There were temples of Diana and all these temples. And people came from all over to worship there. And Paul birthed this church and these believers. And then Paul traveled other places. Well, what began to happen is this church was beginning to operate in spiritual gifts and things, but they were very fleshly. So Paul writes this letter to correct them. our theologians and scholars believe there were probably four total letters written to the church at Corinth we have two of them and some believe this was the second one I don't remember we're going to look at another one in a minute so Paul's writing to them to correct them if you look at the beginning, chapter 1 says, you know, you think you're spiritual, I wish you were. Chapter 2 talks about why you're not so spiritual, because you're carnal, you, you know, you're, you're envy, jealousy, and strife. Chapter 3 talks about his ministry, that, that people are, are divisive, and they think that there's all kinds of, you know, I'm of Paul, I'm a Paul. They have their own cliques, and, and churches have cliques, but a clique means you're immature, you're still a baby. You want to play with the toys of the people. You want to play with who you want to play with. That went over really big too. Okay, so Paul's writing this, listen carefully, as a spiritual father to this church. And this is what I wanted you to see. I do not write these things to shame you. We're talking about a family now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you may have 10,000 instructors, and boy, that's what we have today. We've got that word from Some some of the other translations says teachers. We have available today hundreds and hundreds of teachers that are available to Christians through the internet, through TV. I mean, all kinds of voices, all kinds of doctrines, all kinds of teachings out there. And many of them are very good. I have ones, I go through phases, I'm the one I'm listening to right now. I'm just feeding off of this teacher. And that's good, because I've got some discernment, hopefully. You have many, you have ten thousand instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. See, a teacher passes on Information. And it can be very good information. It can be just what you need to feed on. Watch my finger there. It's a father's finger. Oh, this is good. Teachers, whether the teachers that come here, and we've got good teachers that come here, but they'll come and they'll share their message, which they've shared in other churches. And it's a godly, timely message, but then they leave and go to another place to bring their gift. And it's a valid gift, so I'm not putting them down. Or you may get a prophet that comes in and prophesies, gets everybody stirred up, and then goes somewhere else and gets everybody stirred up. That's why we don't bring a lot of those in, because when they leave it's you and me again. Because dad's still here. See, a father lives with his children. A father knows his children. There's a, one of the Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go. That word train there means to know the bent, the nature, the direction of your child. And then train them up accordingly. You can't know them that way by just showing up one time. We had four children. Each of them had a different bent to them, a different tendency to them. And two of them were identical twins look the same, voices sound the same, but there are subtle differences to their personalities and their bents that we know because we live with them for 18 years and still relate to them so a father has a different role the other roles are valued that's why Jesus gave them as gifts to the church but as believers to grow and understand and understand the system the method that God has designed for us to grow we have to understand the proper roles so there are many teachers out there and it's okay to listen to them well, some of them you need discernment and let me tell you if you're not sure, don't. Don't. Say well, I can discern. Well, if you think you can discern, you probably can't. Cuz I'm cautious about who I can discern. This is we oh, John help. You do not have many fathers in Christ Jesus. I have begotten you through the gospel. Next verse. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach. So what a father does, a father has to model something before his children that they can imitate. Because children will imitate. If you want to know what you're like, look at your children. Listen to them. They'll say what you say, the good and the bad. It will, I still have things come out of my mouth that my mother used to say to us growing up and I would say, I will never say those things and yet they came out of my mouth. <laughs> now here's why it's important. When you sit under somebody as your pastor, you are opening yourself up to whatever spirit they're connected to. And they can say nice, good things... But whatever spirit's behind them is what you are going to receive. Now, I'm saying that to you because I'm your pastor. So, <laughs> you've got to know that spirit. So, if you, you need to know who it is you're going to trust. Which is why when people come and say, Wow, this is the greatest thing. This, okay, calm down. You need to get to know me a little bit. if you think I'm the greatest thing going, you really don't know Jesus. If, you, if anybody gets impressed with me or anybody else wearing flesh, they don't really know Jesus. He's the only really impressive one. All the rest of us are human. We stumble at times, we make mistakes, I'm not living in sin, I'm living with my wife, but we're human. This is, yeah, that's another thing. You, you look at the track record. Put your pom-poms down and your... <laughs> for those of you watching by television, she said she is my cheerleader. So that's, that's the pom-poms. I'm, oh, I'm gonna, where's the word? So Paul is watching over them to discern what it is they need for their protection and for their growth. He said, for this reason, I sent Timothy to you who's my beloved and faithful Son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, now he's going to be a father. Some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. See, they, they got so bad in their spiritual pride that at one point they told Paul he couldn't come there because he wasn't spiritual enough. But So you start judging someone else's spirituality, you open yourself up to spirits, all right. But they're not the Holy Spirit who love to point out to you what's spiritually wrong with everybody else because while you're pointing out to you, they're puffing you up. We'll see that in a couple of minutes. But I will come to you shortly, and if the Lord lives, I will... Lord wills, not lives, the Lord will live. If the Lord wills, I will will know, and not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In the almost 10 years that I've been in this role, I've had people come at me to get me out of here, I've had spirits come against me to get me out of here, and I'm still here. Not because of my strength, not because of my determination, but what's overcome them is the power of anointing and authority that God has given to me, and when my time's over, it will leave me and go to whoever's next. It's not something I've earned. See, authority does not come because you're so wonderful. Authority is a tool to carry out your responsibility. This is, pastor t- this is father talk this morning. But it's good. What is a father's role? Father's role is to love his children, and everything he does for and with that child is to be out of unselfish love. There to be a good example so that the child can grow up. In it. It's so wonderful. I don't think he's in here. <laughs> to watch my grandson, who goes to school here, follow his father around, who serves on our staff as the, my executive. Especially at, at, at concerts, because my son brought Lotus these concerts in and, and he's kind of overseeing the direction and operation. And my grandson, will go and start working from noon, from, from morning until everybody leaves here at midnight. He had his own walkie-talkie, but he's not just carrying around as a little boy. He is actually working. And it became clear to me one time, one concert, that we came in, my wife and I, and we were sitting over here in an overflow room, and he was standing next to us, and I'm sitting down. I said, John, there's a seat here. Why don't you sit down? And he didn't, he didn't even answer me. He just sat stood there like this. He goes, your piece in. And, and I, got, I said, I said, Chris, what's going on? He says, oh, he's acting as security right now. <laughs> he's on duty. So he would not sit on his grandfather's lap because he was on duty. Now, I'm saying that because where do you learn that? He has an instinct to follow his father. So if his work's right, has hopefully <laughs> followed my example if it's worked right. So... Imitation is God designed us to imitate. You just need to know who you're imitating. Okay. And what you're imitating. A good father provides instructions in the way of life, teaching. And a good father supplies discipline. I've mentioned to you before, I don't have time to really get into a lot of this detail, but... um, I was approached several years ago by the superintendent of schools here in Seekonk to help along with some other pastors because they were having trouble with parents organizing drinking parties for their high schoolers. And she said, I can't... They won't... In fact, they would persecute the parents that wouldn't let their kids come. The parents would. And she said, the problem is this. Parents of this generation believe their role as parents is to be a good friend, the best friend to their children. And I said, to her, unfortunately, the best help we can bring you, we're not allowed to bring into the school, which is the gospel. Okay. So he disciplines, but he does it out of love. Because the, go- the, the goal of godly discipline is molding the child. There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is to get back at somebody for what they did to you or somebody else. It does not have it does not have it does not have change as its motive it has retribution as its motive but godly discipline although it may be the same action has as its motive re- reconciliation of relationship has as its motive correction that will prepare that child that young adult to take their place in society is to prepare Whenever I had to administer, I don't we established or tried to establish godly order in our home. And when we first got saved, we didn't know what we were doing. And but by the time our last two children came along together, we had a better idea what we we're doing. So I had a very simple way I did things. We came down with rules of the house and what the consequences was for breaking those rules. And I realized I don't want 25 rules to enforce. If they'll follow, if they'll submit to one or two, they'll submit to anything else. So I laid down—I don't remember how many—and I wrote them. I had them written in the refrigerator. And they had to do with not lying, respecting their mother, really basic character issues. So if they violated one of them, before I would administer the correction, I would take them over and I got one take them over and show it to them. This is why you're about to be disciplined. You broke that commandment of this household. And then I would take them into another room or I would send them there and I would make sure I was in control of myself. And I would make sure that my motive for what I was about to do was for their benefit and not because I was upset or embarrassed. I would not go in that room unless I knew my motive was right. I would then explain to them, this is what you did wrong. Are you sorry for it? And if they gave the right answer, I said, now I'm going to administer this discipline because I love you, because this will help you have an incentive not to do that again. And then I would administer the discipline which God ordained, which is the rod of, cor- uh, rod of correction on the seat of learning. but in love not to inflict harm not to bruise or bleed but out of love, and if you do it out of love you'll know how to do it you'll know the right way to do it and then I would administer forgiveness and reconciliation I would say to them, look at me in the eye as far as I'm concerned this is over what that just happened paid for it I will never mention it to you again and you don't need to think about it again, except to remember not to do it again. So there had to be restoration. That's godly, fatherly discipline. Okay. And it's necessary. There was a time when one of our teenagers, one of our young boys, they're not here right now. They were, they were in a situation where they were, I've forgotten how old they were. They were in, in, in they were, I don't know, seven or eight and they, they said to me one day, you know, uh, I've been invited over to such and such as house for a party. Well, I didn't just, we just let our kids go wherever they wanted to go, even though it was a Christian school. I don't know why I'm off in this, but we are. I'm talking about fatherly discipline and correction. And immediately, you know, as a father, oh yeah, I want you to have fun, but I don't know them. I don't know who they are. So they began to tell me about them. And I said, okay. And then I began to realize, every name you've mentioned is a girl. and you're ten years old. And then it dawned on me. I said, son, because he was saying, I was saying, I know you can't go. Well, why can't I go? I, oh, Why can't I go? You know, we, parents should go through this stuff. And I'm trying to listen inside for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I just asked him who's coming. And he told me the names. I said, they're all girls. He said, he said yes. He said, I, he said, and what I began to realize, the, he was feeling pressure to go. It wasn't that he wanted to go. He was wanting me to let him go because he was feeling pressure for them to come. And I said, his name, I said, you understand why they're asking you to come? Because there are young girls who are just discovering they can influence young boys. And they've invited you to practice. His eyes went like this. I said... You cannot go. And he hugged me. Because what he began to realize is, my no was a protection for him. We need protection. Because our flesh will lead us off into trouble, fall into traps, and a wise father, who's fallen into some of those traps, a wise father, with the grace of God in that role, will recognize them and there were times I had a, my daughter one time came to me and she said same thing she was a teenager now her closest friend lifelong friend had a, her aunt had a com- condominium up in new hampshire and invited us there for her aunt invited them for the weekend this aunt had boats and all kinds of things and and all i knew is in here i didn't have peace and I said, you can't go. And, oh my goodness, what do you mean? I can't go with my friend. Blah, blah, blah. After all, you know her. You know her family. You went to law school with her. Blah, 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 blah. he's the deacon of the church, blah, 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 blah. And I, I said, I understand. I just don't have peace. Blah, 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 blah. Understand. You can't go. I love you. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But I'm not doing this because I'm mad. I'm not doing it because I don't love want you to find, I'm trying to protect you. Blah, 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 blah. About two months later an article came out, remember this, that this close friend that she was friends with, her aunt who had invited them up there, had just been arrested for being a drug ring lord. She was a major leader of a smuggling organization. It was astounding because her, I knew the family. Her brother and I went to law school together together. He was on my board of the church. We were elders together. I mean, this is, you know, it would never compute. It still doesn't. But in my spirit, I knew no. And that wasn't fun. I had to put up with her being upset at me, pouting, whatever she went through. But as a father, I've got to do what's best for her. The easiest thing would have been to say, no, go ahead, because then I wouldn't have to go through all that. See, when we just let our children do whatever they want to do, that's selfish on our part. Because we don't want to be uncomfortable and say no. Now, as they get older, we don't have time to get into this, you've got to learn to measure that according to what's appropriate and where they are. The point is, a father does that. And a spiritual father does the same thing. Oh, Lord. I want to give you quickly an example of this 1 Corinthians chapter 5 it follows right after this because Paul's telling them I'm your father and because of that I'm going to correct you we're going to go down to um, uh, yeah 5 verse 1 so now Paul's going to get into the specifics it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you imagine that in a church I wonder how many pastors are speaking against sexual immorality right now. Among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. I mean, there are people doing stuff in church that Gentiles are ashamed of doing. And what is it? The man has his father's wife. He's sleeping with his mother-in-law. I mean, that would be weird. Sleeping with his stepmother. Verse 2. And you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. He's talking not He's not talking now to the man that's doing this, he's talking to the church that's tolerated it. He's correcting the church as a father lovingly for something that they've tolerated among them. That he who has done this deed may not be taken out from away among you. I'll explain that later on. Verse three. For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I've already judged him as though I were present. Him who has done this deed. So Paul's taught judgment. Look at the word judge. That's not condemned. It's a different word. Condemned means punished. Judge is a word, diacrino, which literally means to draw a line and show you which side you're standing. It means to make clear whether you're right or wrong. So what he's saying is, I've judged you, and I've judged him. See, we hear of judgment as standing before the great white throne of God. It's, oh my gosh, no, judgment means telling you where you are. Him who has done this deed. It's going to get more fun in a minute. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, notice, in the spirit, he was gathered together with them. With the power of our Lord Jesus Christ... I, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Whoa, this is bad. Whoa, ho, ho! Time out, pastor. This is scary stuff. Deliver somebody to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. What's that all about? Everybody, take a deep breath. Say, I love Pastor John. That was kind of weak. So that's okay. Look at this. For the destruction of his what? For the destruction of his what? Remember, your spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit's who you really are, the real man on the inside of you, the real woman on the inside of you. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your flesh is your body. He said, you've not addressed this. This man is in such a sin that if I don't do something, his soul is at stake. So I've delivered. Some of the translations said, I've had you deliver, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is an ultimate discipline. Paul's saying, and he's saying, you're at fault because you let it go on. You didn't address this. Now, we live in a society today where what he's been accused of is an epidemic. And it's in the church. People in physical relationships with somebody of the other sex, or maybe somebody of the same sex, outside of what God's ordained, which is marriage between a man and a woman, that's sin. And Paul's saying is that if that's not dealt with, that man's soul is in danger. Because you've not dealt with it because you're so puffed up on what you see with one another, I've got to take an ultimate step here. And as the authority, I've got to turn that man over to Satan. God wouldn't do, yeah. For the destruction of his flesh so that he'd realize, wake up and realize what he's doing. And he told them earlier, why are you even fellowshipping with him? The Catholic Church has designed this as a doctrine called excommunication. But the scriptural basis behind it is correction which is because we want you to taste what it's like to be outside the body of Christ so you can't come here right now so you feel what it's like to be outside of Christ because that's where you're headed if you don't stop what you're doing that's what was behind this this is remedial this is to correct I have good news for you let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 it worked it worked in the church today there's a lot of abuse of authority there's a lot of lack of authority but God has ordained righteous, godly authority in a family and in a church for protection, done out of love, done exercising His authority. I said Second Corinthians, didn't I? Okay. Chapter 2, verse 4. Oh. I'll just read it from up here. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that, he's right. I wrote a correction to you. Not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So Paul's saying, I've written to you correcting you because I love you. I want you to see how much I love you. Verse Okay. But if anyone has caused grief, he's not grieved me, but all of you to the same extent, not to be too severe. Verse 6. The punishment which was afflicted by the majority was sufficient for that man. So that on the contrary, you ought to have forgiven and comforted him. What he's saying now is it worked. You did what I told you to do. It's worked. Now receiving back. He's repented. He's changed what he was doing. Now receiving back and comfort him just as I did with our children after I disciplined them. So the goal of this is not to get back at. The goal is to correction. And when the correction received, minister the love and the grace to come from one another. But what do we do in church? And I'm not talking about you specifically. Somebody falls, they've, 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 they commit sin, they repent, and then they're, they're marked for life in our mind. Verse 7, so that on the contrary, you ought to rather forgive and comfort him. Look at this, lest perhaps such one be swallowed up by too much sorrow. Because when a soul truly repents and sees what they've done by their sin against God and against the body of Christ, true repentance brings this kind of sorrow that can cause such grief That Satan can take advantage of the grief. And this is where the body needs to come along behind them and prop them up and love them and comfort them. Lest it be swallowed up by too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I wrote you, that I might put you to the test whether you're obedient in all things. For now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sake in the presence of Christ. Let Satan take advantage of us. See, if we don't do things like this right, Satan can take advantage of us. He was already taking advantage of him because the church never dealt with the issue. And now if they dealt with it, if they're too harsh and they don't administer with the right heart of love, then Satan will take advantage on the other end. For we're not ignorant of his devices. Okay. Everybody still okay? All right, we'll close with this last point. So the church is to provide through God's direction parenthood, a loving father. An authority, a godly authority, and the Bible uses the term shepherd or under shepherd for that term. The last point of what a father does is establishes order. One of the purposes—that's one of the purposes of godly authority in a church. Order is vital for a healthy family and for an atmosphere for children to grow and mature. One of the reasons children struggle—we have a school here. One of the reasons children struggle in school, the children are struggling, is because they're going home to a dysfunctional family. There's no order in the family. The mother and father, if they're both there or if they are the mother and the father. Now, if you're divorced, if you're in that kind of family, this is not in any way to condemn you or judge you. I'm trying to, we're talking about the ideal. We're talking about the ideal that God has. God can work with something less than ideal if we allow Him to be involved in it. Okay? So this is not for the purpose of judging. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular. My, my home could use a little or, more order too. All of us could. But I've dealt with families that are very dysfunctional, and one of the one of the evidences of the dysfunction is that there is that there's no order there. They can't. They're not capable of of, of living out an order. Sometimes it's just a, a, the discipline of getting up on time and doing what you're supposed to do on time. Sometimes it's, it's it doesn't mean you're bad people. We're bad people. It just means we need order. So one of the roles of a father is to establish that order in the family which is why in many cases it's not there because you either have a father there that's not doing that or you don't have a father there. And you have a mother trying to establish order and she does the best she can but God designed that order and authority to come to a father in a much different level than a woman's capable of giving in most cases. There are exceptions. Father's voice can just say something and kids change where mom may be trying to say the same thing over and over again. Again, that's how Satan's trying to destroy the family. Okay, we've got to move on quickly. So, in this same church we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians, we're not going to turn to verses, Paul addresses disorder in at least three areas. First of all, he addresses disorder in their services. He says, you've got the gifts of the Spirit functioning, but there's chaos. Somebody stands up with a word here, and somebody has a tongue here, and there's no order. He said, God does things decently and in order. God is not the God of confusion. He is a God of order. Jesus, before He fed the 5,000, anybody know what He had them do? Sit down in order of groups of 50 and 100. It created aisles. It created groups. There's a structure in heaven. There's an order of authority in heaven. There's an order of authority in the Godhead. Order is essential for a healthy atmosphere to grow in. Order provides security. It provides certainty. I know what's going to happen. If you've got someone in charge that keeps changing their mind every other day, it creates confusion and uncertainty and insecurity. Say amen or oh me. Then Paul addresses disorder in their communion services. He says, you're coming together, you're not celebrating the Lord's table, you're having a potluck dinner. Your friends gather over there with your lunch, and your friends gather over there with your bottle of wine, and your friends are over here with this, and you know, it's not the body of Christ coming together. And then he talks about disorder just in their fellowship toward the one another. He said, you've got cliques in the church. You've got this group that says, oh, we're followers of Paul. This group says, we're followers of Apollos. We're followers of whoever. And he says, I didn't die for you. Apollos didn't die for you. Christ is the one. First, or, first Titus, Titus number one. Titus chapter one. I'll no, just look at her. Paul's writing to Titus, one of his sons in the faith, for this reason I left you in Crete, the island of Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. There was chaos in that church. And he's Paul sent Titus to set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders, leaders in every city as I commanded you. Next verse that I gave you. For there are many insubordinate, both idle and talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole household, teaching things that they ought not to for the sake of dishonored gain. So there was teaching that had come into the church and there was such chaos there. Paul sent Titus to put things in order say, don't listen to them, listen to this. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Look at this. The testimony is true. (laughs) I love that. Paul says, that's what they say about each other. And it's true, they are. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So in a home... A godly father will not only love and play with and associate with, uh, he will not only provide what's needed, but a godly father as is needed will provide a correction and discipline because he loves them. Paul was a godly father, spiritual father to the churches he formed. God is obviously a godly spiritual father and we don't have it here, but in, Rome, in Ephesians, Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5, the whole book of Hebrews has been a correction. And now in chapter 12, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews begins to say, because God loves you, He will correct you. He will discipline you. Godly discipline always has to come out of love. And the motive of love is what's best for you, not me, or whoever your spiritual father would be. We're living in a day and age where the big movement of churches, especially in the United States, is to do whatever can make people comfortable that come in here. It's called being user-friendly. And there's nothing wrong with having an accepting, loving atmosphere. But we're living in a day and age when people are desperate to hear truth. Truth that's spoken in love. And a pastor's responsibility in addition to feeding the truth of word is to bring godly discipline and order and correction so that we can grow up and mature I have to make sure I submit to godly leaders that are willing to hear say you're wrong here or you're not wrong here in order for a family to grow and mature, there has to be love and security and provision. But part of that love and security is order, godly, timely discipline, and correction. That's the hardest part because we want people to like us. And pastors above all. The most insecure people on the face of this earth are pastors. Because I need, did they like my message? I'm checking Facebook. What did they say about my message? I've got to close now. But I, I was a pastor before, and God had to take me out of that role because I was so insecure. I would come to the end of a message, and if everybody lined up to say, Wow, that's the best thing I ever heard, and the last person just walked out instead of saying anything to me, my day was ruined. Well, what about them? What did I do wrong for them? And God to protect me had to get me out of the ministry and make me sit down and for part of that sit down I was here to sit under Pastor Sam a father who lovingly corrected me and directed me. And I'm convinced I would not be here if I did not submit to his loving fatherly advice and correction and direction. I better end. Father, now before I do, keep the camera going. I felt the Lord speak to me this morning about, we're, we're recording this for television, one of the most important ministries we have. We reach over 15,000 people every Sunday morning with, this, with the gospel through Catch the Truth, which is this program. I, I want to speak to those that may be watching this morning. In a moment, I'm going to give people here an opportunity that have never received Christ to come and receive Him and to receive Him into their life as the one that paid for their sin, as the one who wants to be governing and guiding their life. The Bible tells us that every one of us is appointed for us to die once, and then comes the judgment. But the Bible also tells us that in Christ Jesus, we can know for certainty that when our time comes, if we've received Christ and put our trust in Him as the one that paid for our sins, that when we leave this body, our last breath, we will go immediately to be in His presence. That's the promise of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that if you would believe in Him, you would not perish, your soul would not perish, but you would have everlasting life. I want to give you an opportunity to invite that Jesus into your life. There's a number at the bottom of your screen. There'll be people there if you want to call in that will take your phone call and they'd be happy to pray with you. I want to encourage you that if, if you are in this neighborhood at all, if you've been watching this program and you're able come and be part of a local body, it's not enough to watch it on television. Some people, many people are shut-ins and they can't help it. They have no other alternative. But there are many of you, I've run into some of you that said, oh, I watch you and I want to say, well, why don't you come and be part of something that can f- help you even more than just one half hour on Sunday morning. We love you and appreciate you being part of the program today. And I'm going to release you now and say God's blessing on you and we'll see you next week. Now I want to speak to you this morning. Maybe maybe you're a, a, a parent and, and you're realizing this morning that if you look at your own family, it's a mess or it's not where it needs to be. Maybe you've been raised in that kind of family as I was. Maybe you've had children and they've just gone off and they're in trouble and you've... most families today are a mess in some way or another. There are very few families that are really the ideal. God puts out the ideal so that we know what His standard is. But God's grace meets us where we are. With our failures, our shortcomings, our mistakes, with our weaknesses, God's grace meets us where we are. To help us to make the changes and adjustments. So that as parents, as fathers and mothers, as maybe spiritual leaders, we can allow him to help us to grow up so we can help our family to grow up. So I want to pray for you this morning. If you're a father or you're a mother, you have the responsibility for a family or maybe you're a grandparent and you've taken on a responsibility. Father, we come to you and because you know of what Satan has worked in our society and our families many of us are struggling many of us are not coming from an ideal background or maybe our homes are not ideal today our eyes have been opened to see some things Lord and we ask you to meet us where we are forgive us we didn't do what we've done on purpose and we recognize that we are weak at times we come to you for the strength for the grace that we need to be godly fathers especially godly mothers Father we come to you now as the body of Christ here though this church is filled with many good and loving people many people who serve Lord there's a way a long ways in which we still have to go we still need to grow up in many areas to the fullness of Christ And so we come to you Father and ask you to help us to see where we are we fall short in many ways to provide that loving encouraging atmosphere for our brothers and sisters that may be weaker or stumbling And I know, Father, that our lives are so busy, we get so distracted by all the affairs of life, and Satan uses those distractions to keep us from what you've really put us here to do. Help us, Lord. Help us to see what you see, to feel what you feel, that we may begin to do what you've called us to do. For the grace to do that, we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.